Welcome to Tabletop Journal's Seat Yourself podcast series on the hospitality tabletop industry. Hosted by Dave Turner, Seat Yourself is 20 to 30 minutes of what's happening in the world of hospitality tabletop. Dave is the globally known chief evangelist and editor for tabletopjournal.com. A non-traditional journalist, Dave has spent nearly 30 years as a sales and marketing executive in the world of hospitality. This podcast was originally published on the week of January 20th, 2020 and runs for approximately 25 minutes. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Seat Yourself. I'm Dave Turner, and I want to welcome you to episode number 58 of Seat Yourself. Seat Yourself is our approximately 20 to 25 minutes or so podcast on all things in the world of hospitality tabletop. And by now, you know our format. We bring you a little news. We bring you some company and product information, and then we roll right into our 60 Seconds with Shannon segment. We are joined by the lovely and the talented Shannon Talon. Shannon is a well-known category manager for tableware and buffetware at Chicago's Edward Don and Company. In today's episode, Shannon and I will talk about the fast-changing world of import duty tariffs, both on tabletop and buffetware products brought into the United States. And in that segment, Shannon will talk about some of the ways that she prefers that suppliers to her company handle the seemingly endless changes to all those tariffs. And then... We'll finish up this episode, as we always do, with our commentary segment. And today we'll be talking about celebrating success. And why celebrating success just might be part of that secret sauce that goes into making every great company. So now, with all that, I think it's time we get this party started. And as we always do here at Seat Yourself, we start with our stat of the week. This week's stat of the week, 23%. Single diners eating at restaurants comprised 23% of all party sizes last year, according to market research firm NPD and reported in a recent Wall Street Journal article. And that figure is up 1% over the year before. So what's up with solo diners? Are they just people who can't get a date? Well, according to their Wall Street Journal story, one-third of people dining alone say they do so for personal pleasure, particularly millennial customers. Two other factors that help make dining solo more attractive. Number one, the companionship of a smartphone. And number two, get this, the possibility of even a moment's solitude. While much of this article addressed eating at home alone and issues related to that, the story did quote a businesswoman from Charlotte, North Carolina, who dines out solo both on the road and at home. According to the story, she takes the opportunity when dining out to order vegetable dishes that she finds cooking at home to be too labor-intensive and too time-intensive. Interesting perspective. She also mentioned that being after treating being treated poorly at some local restaurants, she's now a frequent visitor to a handful of her favorite eateries who welcome her patronage, saying that she's treated gets treated as a regular, and she leaves a really good tip. Nice. And smart restaurants are starting to figure it out as well. Queens Yard, a restaurant in New York's Hudson Yards, has a strategy for welcoming solo diners by identifying those who might be might want to interact with staff and other guests, and separating them from those who would rather be alone and seating them accordingly. The restaurant has found that solo diners can become valuable repeat customers who, since they are alone, have time to observe the team, watch the interaction with the staff, has with the other guests, and pay more attention to the food. And at Queen's Yard, solo diners often receive a glass of bubbles or a little tasting plate. So that's it. The percentage of solo diners are slowly increasing for lots of reasons that really aren't that surprising. 
and smart restaurateurs are finding ways to make them feel more comfortable and more wanted. And that's our stat of the week, 23%. That's the percentage of all party sizes dining at restaurants these days that are solo diners. And in news this past week, with all that's been happening at Hilton Hotels lately, you'd think that they might be just a little bit too busy to launch another hotel brand into the already crowded lifestyle sector. But that's exactly what they've done with the launch of their new Tempo by Hilton brand. Targeting today's modern achiever, Hilton is positioning Tempo as an quote-unquote approachable brand. According to Hilton's Phil Cordell, who is Vice President and Global Head of New Brand Development, with a new Tempo brand, he's quoted as saying, The modern achiever, they're the ones who will work hard. They still travel, but at the same time, they don't want their travel to disrupt their needs. They want a bit of everything in a genuine way that's kind of cool and hip, but not so uncomfortably. Tempo by Hilton is targeted to be above a Hilton Garden Inn and below a canopy within the Hilton stable of brands. With 30 confirmed deals and another 30 about to close, it looks like Temple by Hilton will be coming to a city near you soon. Hilton hopes to have 500 Tempos in the U.S. within the next 8 to 10 years. And here's more good news for tabletop suppliers. Temple by Hilton will have a culinary slice to its brand DNA with what they're calling culinary journeys. According to the company, these culinary journeys are being developed alongside the award-winning Blau & Associates. Temple by Hilton's food and beverage offerings ensure guests will have access to everything they need to sustain energy and to boost focus. The In Lobby Fuel Bar, a complimentary coffee and tea bar, will offer hand-selected assortment of premium coffees and teas, along with various benefit-driven mix-ins for those coffees and teas. Additional hearty and healthy options, including artisanal smoothies and other breakfast favorites, will be available at the Casual Cafe. And at the bar, spirited and non-spirited craft cocktails and small plates will round out the concept's culinary program. Additionally, Blau & Associates will collaborate with Hilton to form a Chef Collective, an advisory board of young, up-and-coming chefs who will help curate seasonal menus. With the scale projections and the positioning of Tempo by Hilton as a concept with strong focus on food and beverage, this will be a concept that savvy tabletop suppliers will want to pay close attention to. Tempo by Hilton. And as I said, coming to a city near you soon. And also in news this past week, it appears as though New York City's smaller bars and restaurants are not feeling the love from the red-hot Manhattan economy. According to a new, recent New York Post article, many of the smaller, independent bars and restaurants continue to struggle despite New York's boom in tourism and new hotels. This town is toast for the small guy in business, said Pat Hughes. Hughes is the owner of Lansdowne Road, an Irish pub and sports bar in Manhattan's Hell's Kitchen that's on the verge of closure after 15 years. Hughes went on to tell the Post, I haven't taken a paycheck, a bonus, or an expense check for myself since July of 2018. I tell my wife I'm really just like an unpaid volunteer around here. Owner of three Manhattan pubs and restaurants, Hughes employs 40 workers altogether. But rising overhead costs ranging from labor, benefits, and upkeep to taxes, leases, and city charges have all pushed his business to the brink, all according to the Post story. In addition, the Post reports that the hospitality sector alone in New York City has lost some 8,400 jobs since October of 2017, or nearly 5% of the workforce, all according to Federal Reserve data. So what will be the future of restaurants and bars in America's largest city? 
Will all the restaurants and pubs be large, national, or even regional chains? Or will they all be located in one of the many new hotels being constructed, or at least on the drawing boards in Manhattan? If so, who's going to be eating and drinking in these locations? Will it simply become more and more tourists who are the only ones willing to spend? Or will New York City's bar and restaurant business become even more expense account driven than it is already? With costs of all kinds going nowhere but up, sooner or later, something will have to give. Yes, folks, the eating and drinking landscape is definitely changing for the city of New York. We'll wait and see what the future brings there. And in company news this past week, according to the Home Lachlan China Company, the season gets just a little sweeter with the arrival of a new Fiesta color. And the year 2020 brings the introduction of the new color, Butterscotch. Named for the way its orangey-yellow hue resembles the famous confection, the new Butterscotch color is a vibrant shade that the company feels sure is to inspire bold plating and tasteful recipes. It is the 42nd shade of Fiesta introduced by the Hormalock on China Company since the colorful and iconic Made in America dinnerware debuted in 1936. And, according to Rich Bringman, Vice President of Sales and Marketing at Hormalockon, Butterscotch is a vibrant, cheerful addition to the 2020 Fiesta color spectrum. It's also a warm and inviting, nostalgic color that complements so many of the existing Fiesta colors. Now, for those of you out there who say that Homer Lachlan's Fiesta is a retail dinnerware, I tell you there are two reasons why we mention it here in a venue so focused on dinnerware for hospitality. Number one, there are hospitality operators, both big and small, who love the bright and cheery colors of the Fiesta color palette and use them in their everyday operations. And number two, the color announcements of Fiesta from Homer Lachlan, well, no, quite as influential as the color of the year announcements from Pantone, they do have influence and meaning. Will the color butterscotch be a trending color this year in hospitality? We'll have to wait and see. But my guess is you'll see splashes of it all around and within the hospitality sector before the year is out. And for 2020, with no retiring colors as of now, there are 15 signature Fiesta colors within the Fiesta dinner range, according to the company. You can find out more about which Fiesta colors are active on the Homolaka website. That website, hlcdinnerware.com. And what about the new butterscotch color? Well, according to the company, it will all be available for sale later in the summer and will include a variety of plates, platters, bowls, mugs, and of course that signature Fiesta disc pitcher, along with all the traditional Homolaka serving pieces. Best of luck to them with their new butterscotch color. And in other company news this past week, the Supervisory Board of Villarreal-Bach in Germany has elected Dr. Alexander von Bach as the new chairman of the Supervisory Board of the group with immediate effect. A management consultant, Dr. von Bach has been a member of the Supervisory Board of Villarreal-Bach AG since 2008 and second vice chairman since 2018. In his more than 30-year career with Villarreal-Bach, Alexander von Bach has worked in various Villarreal-Bach production sites and branches in Germany and abroad, and was responsible for the project business of the tiles and sanitary divisions, among other things. His time in charge saw partnerships with renowned designers, architects, and various design colleges. Dr. von Bach is also a member of the Board of Trustees of the Union Foundation in Saarbrücken. The Union Foundation has as its primary aim, in addition to democratic education, is to foster international understanding and the promotion of science, research, and culture. 
Dr. Von Bach is also a member of the Board of Trustees of the Museum of Applied Art in Frankfurt on Main. Following his election to the, as chairman of the Supervisory Board of Villarreal Bach AG, Dr. Von Bach commented, I am delighted to be able to continue my long relationship with the brand Villarreal Bach in the role of chairman of the Supervisory Board of the group. As a member of the founding family, this is a particular honor and challenge for me. Best wishes to Dr. Alexander Von Bach as he steps into his new role at this German ceramics leader. And in a final note on company news this past week, it's the beginning of a new year and it's a time many companies are updating their product catalogs with new arrivals showing up in both hard copy and PDF format nearly every day. Recent notable arrivals are the new catalogs from Spanish company Ceramic Grupara and France's Rival Porcelain. Grupara's catalog is 50 plus pages of impressive and colorful products, many with reactive glaze finishes, all while stressing that the company's products are 100% natural materials, combining four of nature's elements, the earth, of course, water, air, and finally fire. The company also stresses that all the products comply with strict European food regulations. I personally love Grappar's classic Spanish cookware pieces, the tagines, the cazuela, casserole pieces. These are authentic cookware and serveware pieces made by artisans, combining both the best of traditional production methods, along with both classic and contemporary designs. You definitely want to check out the new Grappar catalog. As I mentioned, Ceramics Grappar is a Spanish company that is family-owned for over 60 years. Find out more about Grappar at their website, grappara.net. In America, Grappara Ceramics line is available from Chef Forward, and you can check them out at chefforward.com. Another family-owned company that just released its newest product catalog is Francis Rival Porcelain. To us, this new, just under 100-page catalog is more like a fashion or a travel magazine than a product catalog, but that uh, should be expected because it reflects the upscale quality and the artistic beauty of the Rival Porcelain lineup of products. Once a supplier of classic French white cookware, more suitable to the back of the house than the front of the house, Rival in the last decade has made incredible strides with its colorful tabletop collections. This new catalog showcases its newest collections with its statement in the very beginning of the brochure. It says, the future of tableware begins now. We really like Rival's Adelaide collection of dinnerware that is the recent, most recent addition to the new Rival range. The Adelaide collection consists of several minimalist, multifunctional dishes that are available in a soft, creamy white, as well as a more stylized black cast iron effect. With its easily stackable plates, Revolve's new Adelaide is a simple, elegantly simple and accessible collection that's perfect in any kind of restaurant. There's much, much more in the new Revolve Porcelain Hospitality Catalog, and you can find it by going to their website, revolve-pro.com. Now, these are just two, but there are lots of new catalogs coming out already this year, with seemingly everybody upping their game when it comes to collateral materials. If you've just come out with your new 2020 catalog, or are about to, send it along, or make sure we know about it. We'd love to give it a mention here on Seat Yourself. Now, 60 Seconds with Shannon, where Dave sits down with Shannon Talon of Edward Donnan Company and asks the question of the week. This week, Shannon discusses trends with import tariffs. Hi, everybody. We're back with Shannon Talon. She's the, the lovely and the talented category manager for both tabletop and buffetware with Edward Don in Chicago. 
And Shannon, today's question I have for you is a, a political one, if you will, but it's it involves tariffs. And, oh boy! <laughs> and yeah, it's a it's a crazy world of tariffs these days. How are the manufacturers that you deal with? How are they handling the selling prices in light of all the shifting tariff situations? Because everything's up for grabs, it seems like in tariffs. And other than not passing them on at all, what's a good way for brands uh, to present their increased costs from the tariff change? What's the best way for a, a company or a brand to present them those that those increased costs to Edward Don? Yeah, so it is. It is sort of feels like the wild, wild west with all the uh, with all the pricing activity going on in the market. I think what is critically important. Well, let me back up and say that you know we are by and large seeing manufacturers, you know, directly pass those uh, those tariffs along to us and therefore to the end user. It's just a cost of doing business right now that that really nobody can avoid, and that's understandable. I think the key for manufacturers and uh, suppliers is to make sure they're communicating both to distributors uh, and to operators about what they're doing to try to mitigate the tariffs. Because everybody everybody knows about the tariffs. Everybody knows that you know it's just something we all have to contend with right now. But I think it really makes a difference when a manufacturer is able to say to the market, okay, regrettably, we have to pass along this cost increase, but here's what we're doing to try and offset them. Whether it's tougher negotiations with their factories, exploring different countries of origin for the manufacturing, different buying strategies. I think that while manufacturers may feel like that's proprietary confidential information, I think it goes a long way for them to give us a peek behind the curtain of what they're doing to try and, and mitigate those tariffs, because that shows that those companies are, you know, they're a good partner. They're not just being proactive or they're not just being reactive. They're trying to be proactive to the situation. And I think it would, it'll set them apart from uh, the manufacturers and suppliers that are just sort of waiting it out to see what happens. Uh, so I think that's really important when it comes to the tariffs. You know, nobody likes it. It's unfortunate, but we all are in the same boat. So let us know what you're doing to mitigate it. And uh, I think that, again, would, sets those companies apart from their competition. Yeah, as it, as it usually does. And when times are shifting and changing uh, you know, quickly, uh, good communication back and forth between the partners uh, make, makes all the difference oftentimes. It, it really does. And, and it really helps calm people's concerns and fears about what's coming next. Uh, so again, that communication is just critical. Now here's Dave with this week's commentary. This week, Dave talks about celebrating success and why it's important. In today's commentary, I'd like to talk about success and why it's important that we celebrate our successes, whether they be big or small, whether they be individual or team. Success in organizations is what keeps them going forward. It must be continual and it must be measured in a variety of ways. Certainly top-line sales and profits along with market share growth, these are commonly measured and are definitely critical to a company's continual success trajectory. But what about less objective areas such as organizational development and capabilities, overall team or department excellence, or even skill set improvement in individual employees? All of these types of successes are also worthy of celebration and part of what makes up successful organizations that are successful for the long haul. And while most companies have formalized programs for top sales performances, and those are indeed important, I would argue that celebrating the small wins is an equally important ritual and a ritual that doesn't always have to come with a large banquet or a plaque or a trophy. 
And whether you celebrate big successes or the smaller individual successes, here are six reasons why the celebration of success in your organization makes a big difference and is something that all great leaders know is critical to their long-term success. Number one, celebration of success reminds you of the goal you set and why it was important. The simple act of celebrating success reminds us that we had set a goal originally and that we eventually achieved it. The celebration serves as a reminder of the work and the effort that went into that achievement to reach the goal. Celebrating success also serves to reinforce the idea that hard work has its rewards. The rewards can be tangible, such as uh, specific plaques or awards, or even compensation, or the rewards can be self-gratification of learning a new skill or achieving a personal development milestone. Whatever that reward is, the underlying message is clear. Hard work in your organization will be appreciated and recognized. Celebrating success also motivates both the individual and the team. We all want to feel appreciated, and anytime our hard work or that of the team is appreciated and recognized, we'll work harder and even be more productive the next time around. By continuing those types of rituals, both big and small, organizations develop a strong can-do culture. Number three, Celebrating success focuses on the positive and makes us mentally stronger. With so much negativity in today's world, a focus on the positive steps towards our goals helps to keep us strong mentally. By especially recognizing small milestones on our longer journey towards success, that helps both individuals and teams overcome the inevitable backslides and negativity that accompanies attempting difficult goals. And these types of small reminders along the way allows everyone in the team to remember why it's great to be part of this team. This keeps our momentum pushing forward when strong headwinds come our way. Number four, celebrating success builds trust. When we celebrate success, trust is built within ourselves and within our team members. If the celebration is for an individual achievement, we, f- we further develop our trust and belief in our own abilities and our abilities to set a challenging goal to follow through with an effort and determination to achieve that goal. And when we're celebrating a team achievement, we've learned to trust our teammates, to share and collaborate, and we strengthen our relationship across our organization. Celebrating our success allows us to be reminded of what we've been through together. And celebrating our successes with our teammates also provides that reservoir of trust for any future potential conflicts or disagreements we may have with them we're all a little bit more likely to cut someone a little slack in a disagreement when we trust them. After all, isn't that what good teammates do? Number five, celebrating success develops compassion and learning. When we celebrate success, we get a chance to realize a level of compassion, whether it's self-compassion for ourselves and our struggles along the journey, or when we celebrate a team success, we have a chance to show compassion for any of our teammates by choosing to focus on their strengths rather than their shortcomings. Either way, celebrating success is a great time to learn by asking questions. Some of those questions might be, what went right or wrong during our journey? What would we do differently? What obstacles did I or we overcome? And will we be better prepared the next time when we see those obstacles in front of us? All good questions and part of the learning process that comes with celebrating success. Our sixth and final reason why celebrating success makes such a big difference is that recognition is a key 
to celebrating overall success within an individual's or in an organization. When the goals achieved have been specific and the progress along the way has been followed and measured, then the recognition of achievement must take place. As I said earlier, sometimes that recognition can be a simple thank you or congratulations, job well done, or it can be a much larger, more formal recognition. When positive behavior results in an achievement of success, that positive behavior gets reinforced with the recognition of the achievement. Conversely, if nobody, including ourselves, takes a moment to recognize that a goal was set and eventually achieved, then goal setting in the future is less likely to have any substantial meaning. This is true of both individuals and teams. Recognizing and celebrating success is a great way to tell the outside world of your organization's culture and to reinforce that culture as one of hard work, determination, and achievement of worthwhile goals. And that is why success storytelling should also be a major part of any organization's marketing, brand building, and overall brand positioning plan. Remember, success attracts success. So here's the question. What successes are you celebrating lately? I'm Dave Turner, and thanks for joining me. I'll see you next time. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Seat Yourself. And as always, I want to thank the Rockstar Category Manager, Shannon Talent, for joining us today. And of course, I want to thank you, our listeners, for joining in as well. And finally, I want to make a special thanks to the Edward Don and Company for sponsoring in part this episode of Seat Yourself. Edward Don and Company, everything but the food for nearly 100 years. And remember to be sure to check out their most recent tabletop advisor. You can download it from their website, www dot don dot com just go to the homepage and scroll down to the publication section we'll see you next time but always remember tabletop matters that concludes this week's episode of tabletop journals seat yourself podcast series for more news information and insights on the hospitality tabletop industry be sure to check out tabletopjournal.com